JV Knowledge Podcast Network. This week on the Contact Crew Podcast, our special talk with the CEO of Trimble, Rob Painter. Also in this week's news, whole bunches of construction tech about autonomous excavators, four tips to bring women into construction now, a 34,000-ton infinity train, Orlando emphasizing the wow factor in digital twins, and more. Construction is the world's oldest industry, but spends the least amount of money on innovation. When we realized people outside and inside the industry didn't typically associate it with technology like virtual reality, apps, and robotics, we started the Contact Crew. Each week, we bring our listeners the latest in contact news and interview the minds behind the technological innovations changing the way we build. So strap in, enjoy the ride, and geek out. It's Contact Crew time. here oh my goodness as we record this is friday march 11th 2022 my special co-host today tahira ali she's the greatest tahira i wrote 2021 on about five different things this week (laughs) it's been a hell of a week but we made it and uh, you know more's the better right (laughs) man i was like what is going on i i'm not even keeping track of what year it is I mean, it's maybe it's still the post Mardi Gras fog. I don't know. I I was in I was in New Orleans, the Mardi Gras episode for the last one, and this time I'm down in Florida, calling on some customers, doing a little business uh, down in South Florida. It's in the the high 80s, Oof. humid. Went for a run this morning and just sweat, just just melted, just sweat. <laughs> you know, and then you go, man, if it's this warm in the in the winter. Where's it at in the summer? Of course, it's extremely warm. But, you know, it's good times here in Palm Beach because baseball is back. Oh, my goodness. I know. <laughs> I almost couldn't have a meeting yesterday because that's all anyone was tracking. So I think that's also made the week longer is yeah. everyone's hearts are trying to figure out what's happening with baseball. And your Braves are down here in Palm Beach right now. They are. They are. So they're going to resume spring play i'm so excited spring ball is back <laughs> we're only a week late on the baseball baseball season starts april 7th instead of april 1st my business partner sebastian the world's best business partner he uh, he was going to slip into a deep funk of depression if the season didn't uh, get started soon he's a rabid red Sox fan and he he was gonna uh, lose it so just for the sake of my own business selfishly i was like <laughs> to hear i need like they need to get back into into playing like I mean, I live 10 minutes from the, the Brave Stadium, so uh, property values alone. Yeah, exactly. I, lo- I love the Brave Stadium, by the way. It's so nice. Oh, it's amazing. It's super family-oriented, yeah. which is great. It's great. It's really, really great. Remember, uh, out there, never miss an episode by having every one of them sent straight to your email inbox when you text CONTACT to 66866. Not just the audio, getting the show notes and the, the, the links to the articles, texting CONTACT to 66866. If you have a question, comment, or a suggestion, get in touch with us. 979-473-9040. I get all kinds of fun memes and texts sent there. And uh, I guess 979-473-9040. Nothing to, nothing to report except the funniest meme of the week I got from my buddy Alex Lee. And this was the meme. I checked the Kelly Blue Book value on my truck today. 
and it asked if the gas tank was full or empty. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Because it it actually does impact the uh, the value of the vehicle now. Pretty 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 crazy. Oh, I was talking to a contractor in California, and they were saying gas over there is over six bucks a gallon. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything in California is expensive. They manage the <laughs> tax rate. This is a wow. Oh, nope. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop because I was about to get political. <laughs> I was about to do it. It was like I was on the edge. You held it back. And I was like, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to get through the mm-hmm. week. It's going to be a win. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk about the impact of public policy on fuel prices. So let's move on. <laughs> because, because that's no that's no fun. I talk about our cause of the show. According to the CDC, construction occupations have the highest rate of suicide as well as the highest number of suicides across all occupational groups. To combat these statistics, contractors, unions, associations, industry service providers, and project owners must work together to stand up for suicide prevention. The Construction Industry Alliance for Suicide Prevention is raising awareness about the risk of suicide within the construction industry and providing suicide prevention resources and tools to create a zero suicide industry. Visit PreventConstructionSuicide.com for more information. Before we get started with our special interview, I spoke with Anka Stefanescu, head of growth at Spectar, about augmented reality BIM in the field. Here's my first chat with Anka. I am joined by Anka Stefanescu, head of growth and sales manager over at Spectar. I would love for you to give us a quick overview of Spectar's solution and walk us through what exactly it does. Sure. The Spectar is a cloud and software platform that essentially converts BIM files from your existing workflows like Revit, Navis, AutoCAD, stores, and then delivers them to a HoloLens application that enables the field crews to see the models at one-on-one scale on the job site. And to do that, we deliver a fully immersive AR experience that is really heads-up, hands-free, where the field is leveraging model data to enable workflows without the need for these crews to be proficient in BIM. And we primarily focus on GCs, mechanical, electrical, wall and ceiling contractors, including uh, some of the specialty trades that we see exploding lately, like low voltage, for example. Yeah, and and that's the, I think the key is making it easy to look at BIM model data without having to really train on how to use BIM software. Exactly. And I am here with Rob Painter, the CEO of Trimble. Rob, how's it going? Excellent. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you, James Tahira. Yeah, and it's uh, great to have you. You're in Colorado, beautiful Colorado. In the right time of year to be in Colorado, it is a, a good time to go skiing right now, I hear. It is, James, and every day is a good day to be in Colorado. Um, Excellent summers, excellent winters, Um, a skier, a mountain biker, a trail runner, all the good Colorado stuff. Yeah, you sound like me when I talk about Texas. I'm a a militant, I would call myself a militant Texan. So I I, I say that, but you know, I have to say it kind of tongue in cheek when I talk about Texas because the heat in the summer is absolutely brutally oppressive. (laughs) So it's so much so that I bail out to the shores of Lake Michigan for about, about three months in the summer because I can't, I can't take it. It's like, all right, the humidity is too much. And I, I will say this. I, have, I, go to, I go to Denver a good bit. It, it gets a little warm in the summer in Denver. I'm going to say that. It, it, can, it can get hot there. 
Absent the humidity, James. <laughs> yeah, it's all <laughs> that's what they always say. It's not the heat, it's it's the humidity that gets you. And and Rob, I'm from South Louisiana. I was born and raised in the uh, Baton Rouge area. My, my whole family's in New Orleans, and so I understand humidity at a level that most people don't. Now, you know who does understand that is Tahira Ali because you know, Atlanta it doesn't get much more humid than Atlanta, does it, Tahira? I mean, it's not hot unless you can see the heat waves kind of rising with you. <laughs> but it, I, I welcome that after Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, so you, she had to spend years over there at Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Had to, got to. She got to Loved spend years. To. Loved, Loved to. to. Because Wisconsin is wonderful eight months a year. So this show is not about the weather, though. It's about construction tech. And uh, we, we love talking about the technology that is really transforming the construction industry. But uh, there's very few companies that can can say they're working on all of it. Like almost every vertical in construction tech other than Trimble. Now, before we before we dive into this, Rob, like before we deep dive, I want to talk about you for a second. Sure. Because that this, you know, this is about people. This is a people industry and you are definitely one of those people. You became the the president and CEO in January of 2020. What an interesting time. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to bookmark the fact that you became CEO while COVID was starting to rampage through China and was about to hit the United States. We're going to talk about that because, you know, it's always interesting when you take the helm of a new organization right before something major happens because it, it tests your leadership immediately. But you, you got a, a bachelor's in, in finance. You got an MBA from this, uh, this school over there in, in Boston, in Harvard, Harvard Yacht, where they parked the car in the yard. But you went to Harvard. I'm a Texas Aggie, so I got my undergrad and master's in business at Texas A&M. I'm happy to say, and, and Rob, I'm just going to do a little smack talk. I'm just a little, just heads up. There are more Fortune 500 CEOs from Texas A&M than any other school. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to lay that out there. <laughs> then again, we do graduate way more people. So the statistical odds are just in our Proportions. favor. Yeah. There, when you have 75,000 students, the odds are that you're going to have some more graduates, <laughs> but I love I mean, Harvard's a great education. So you, you got off to a great start. You, you went to work in a couple of different, you know, you were really in the, the foods industry. You went to Kraft Foods as a financial analyst. You went to Whole Foods back in the early days of Whole Foods, then you went over to Bain and Company. Then you went to a company called Wrapped. Then you went to Sinveo. and then and then in 06, you went to Trimble. So let's let's just talk about the pre-Trimble stuff. Let's let's go let's go back in time and talk about before Trimble. Where were you born and raised, and and what did you envision doing as your career when you were a kid? So uh, born and raised uh, mostly in Charleston, West Virginia. So I'm one of the few. West Virginians that you probably get to speak with. Yes. <laughs> Along the way, though, I've lived in a lot of places. I lived to here. I lived in Atlanta. James, I lived in New Orleans a little bit growing up. I lived in just in a little town called Dickinson near between Houston and Galveston once upon a time. So moved a lot uh, growing up, but born in West Virginia and went to high school and college there. Oil and gas business? Yeah. My dad was uh, spent his life working at Union Carbide. And so yeah. Up and down the rivers. It's about the only industry that would take you to those cities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, oh, you mean south of Houston and then New Orleans? I'm like, oh, yeah, this this is all. And, of course, Charleston. It, it's funny. When you say you're from Charleston, you have to say Charleston, West Virginia. Of course. Yes. You don't meet a lot of folks from Charleston, West Virginia, but it, it's a it's a neat, neat place. So what did you what did you envision doing when you were a kid? Like, did you want to be in the the petrochem or oil and gas business, like 
like whichever parent was 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 moving all over the country or or what what did you envision doing? You know, I was actually always much more interested in business than than engineering. My dad's a chemical uh, uh, engineer. My brother went to UT Austin. He's a he's a chemical engineer. But I was the one that was interested in uh, business. I was the one that liked to look at the 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 stock prices in the newspaper every day back when that's when you flip the page to the yes. to see what was happening on Wall Street with the with the tickers. I was always interested in having a job and working and being able to have some of my own spending spending money and be able to have a car and you know these are the kind of things that I found uh, interesting and so I was always enamored with the idea of of business. Uh, I was always interested actually as well in international business. I'm not exactly sure how um, I came to be interested in that. Maybe it was a function of moving around as a little bit as a as a kid and seeing different cultures and and different people. I listened to your last podcast last week and you were talking about it's Mardi Gras time. So a little lazy the Bonton Roulet. Oh, yeah. And you could you talk <laughs> about that might as well be a different country when you're in South Louisiana. Oh very true. Rob, I always joke that you should have to have a passport to get into Louisiana <laughs> yeah. because it's it is you know, we we use a totally different version of Universal Commercial Code, right? UCC is different to get a yeah. to practice. We use Napoleonic Code instead of common law in our legal system. I mean, it's everything in my home state is different. We are the Quebec of America. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it is uh, <laughs> it, it, it's fascinating. Did you ever hear the story of the stadium LSU? Um, it goes back to the Huey Long days, and uh, there was a debate in the legislature about build a a football stadium or build a dormitory. You know what they did is they did both. <laughs> they built a dorm in the shape of a football stadium. We're talking about Louisiana politics in action. Rob, I'm happy to tell you that my father and mother both went to LSU and my father lived in the dormitory in the football stadium. <laughs> <clears throat> it was literally, and you can see it, they turned it into offices now, but it, it they embedded it under, yeah. under the stands so they could call it a dormitory. Yeah. It's fascinating. Huey P. Long's the reason that my family, my dad was born in the French Quarter in New Orleans, was raised there his first few years, and then they had to leave the state for a few years because Huey P. Long, my my grandfather worked for the levy board, and they marked the ballots of all public employees. And then if your guy didn't win, you got canned. Wow. So my grandfather lost his job on the levy board because he didn't vote for the Kingfisher, Huey P. Long, and they they nixed him. And so he, he had to go to Mississippi. I kid you not. Like this is, wow, what a story. This is, this is 1943 middle of world war two. And it was, it was Dunsey for, for grandpa, you know? And so it's, it's fa fa fascinating stuff. So you, you grow up traveling and moving around the country. You, you end up going, what led you to, I mean, you were fascinating in business. So, I mean, what, what other business school would you possibly want to get your MBA from than Harvard? I'm, I'm assuming it was a great experience for you because all my friends who, who went there, I mean, loved it. Yeah, I mean, really, I could easily say it was the it, some of the two best years of my my life. I spent uh, the last yeah. weekend with some old friends from business school. It's an incredible network, uh, really tight community. And you know, as we've gotten all gotten older and progressed our respective careers, it's amazing to see the the connections that I have that are super yeah. relevant in my personal and professional life. Twenty something years later, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I, and it's the same thing here with 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 A and M. You know, Aggies are are thick as thieves, and it's been been good to to track everybody's everybody's progress. You so you went through after business school, went to Bain, went to Raft, went to Sanveo. What led you to Tremble? And obviously, you were doing corporate development, M and A work. Was it just that, or what was it about a Trimble initially in, in 2006 that led you to, to going to work there? Well, simply 
put. It's it, it it was and it is an attractive context, a context of serving markets that are large, global, underserved, and underpenetrated. I love technology, you know, despite the I've worked in a number of different industries and different capacities. I had enough exposure to work around strategy, uh, work with technology companies. I'd worked at startups, I'd worked at large companies. So I knew the things that I appreciated about the the different environments that I had had worked in. But most fundamentally, I was looking uh, for something that was just exciting and fun and transformative and Gosh, did I ever find that here at Trimble? Yeah, well, there's a, it's a rare blend. I said that in the beginning, and that's what, what most fascinates me. Was, was, it, was the vision for, and you were in corporate dev, so you, 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 were, you were working on all these acquisitions right. for the last, you know, whatever it was, 16 years now, right? Was there this vision for a blended hardware and software and ERP? I mean, because when you look at Trimble now, what 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 were your what what was the initial vision to have you know soup to nuts, field to ERP, hardware to software, scanners to processing? Was that the vision, or was there was there maybe a, a smaller subset of that that led to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely, a long game vision. Let me give you a little bit of the origin story. So there's a guy. The guy's name is Charlie Trimble. Forty three years ago, Charlie Trimble um, was working at Hewlett Packard. And Charlie was interested in this thing called Loran positioning. And then later he was interested in this thing called GPS. Have you heard of it, James Tahira? He was interested in this. Well, I, I, I've used Loran. So, okay, pilot, right? Yeah, I'm a pilot. So, I'm probably one of the few people who you could speak to who's actually used Loran to navigate. <laughs> so, old pilots, and by the way, sailors, they also knew us when we were Trimble Navigation. Yep. Um, or originally, Hewlett Packard was not interested in Loran um, and in GPS. Charlie was. He founded Trimble, the garage shop startup in Silicon Valley. Literally, the story left to found it with a few number of colleagues. So we became best known initially uh, for GPS, then positioning technologies. There's a range of positioning technologies. You can get into optical laser as well to complement. GPS, as well as the other satellite systems that, from other countries. That eventually started moving us into productivity because what does that positioning technology provide? It provides a level of productivity, quality, accuracy. Fast forward to 1999, Charlie left Trimble and our second CEO came into the business. And we started at that point thinking a lot more about how these technologies were used in their context. And when you look and you go spend time with the customers, and I think you said to me earlier, you were, you were there in Florida visiting some customers. When you go actually spend some time in the real world with customers and you watch what they're doing, you watch how they're doing it, you watch why they're doing it, that eventually led us to think more about workflow. And when you start thinking about workflow, that starts making you think about software. And so the journey into moving into more, I'll say, rich software applications started over 20, 20 years ago. So the good news, I'd say, from Trimble and our own evolution of the businesses is that we didn't wake up two years ago, five years ago. Oh, my gosh, we got to figure out how to become digital and we got to figure out how to have some software in this thing. We've been doing this for over 20 years. It's a long journey. It's a long game yeah. um, journey. And, and the journey has been as follows, as, as you as you look at how customers are using your technology, that eventually took us to start thinking about coming backwards from the markets, backwards from the customers. And that eventually took us to really segment at a bigger thematic level into markets such as survey and mapping. We call it our geospatial business today. 
to a construction business, both horizontal or civil construction and vertical construction and buildings. We have a business that looks after agriculture, and we have a large business that also looks after the transportation market. You may say, well, what do these things have in common? Well, what they have in common is a need and an imperative to connect what's happening in the field with what happens in the office. You've got these industries going back to some of the thematics across the company, large, global, underserved, underpenetrated, that fundamentally need to become more productive and more efficient and more sustainable. And so there's this common technology stack that we have. And so we enrich that through the software that we've built organically and inorganically into modeling technologies and into analytics technology. So we talked about ERP. I would call that in the category of analytics and business process. And in the category of modeling, I think we'll probably jump into a deeper dive in our construction business with what we're doing there. But no surprise that the company that likes and has been known for a long time for highly accurate um, position, you know, kind of, I think centimeter level accuracy. We like precise models. We like what we call the constructible model, not the pretty picture that shows you the design intent, but actually how do you build this thing? What you engineer is what you build, right? So moving and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into the connected workflow. So this idea of connected construction, the connected fleet, the connected farm, and we actually declared those as, as visions over 20 years ago. And, and, and it takes a long time, right, to build these, these capabilities. So this little company that was formed in a garage shop 43 years ago today is over $3.7 billion in revenue. We've got 12,000 people doing business in 150 countries around the world. We're majority software uh, business today. And often that's sometimes something that people don't know. They they know a lot about our, our history in the field with the hardware technologies and don't always know where we've come on this journey with the software. And as you said, it's the connection. It's about the connection. Connect the, the It's about connecting the physical and the digital worlds. And a lot of people are talking about these these days. You hear the words connecting the physical and digital. Here's the difference. We actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of noise around digital twin right. as as this connection between physical and digital, a, a digital replica, an as-built millimeter accuracy digital replica of the real world. But there's very few who have the hardware and software to actually do it. And that's the that's the challenge, right? And And some are just starting to talk about it. And many, some, some have been working on it for a very long time. Now, I know Tahir, Tahir has got a, a question diving into some of that tech. Oh, my gosh. Well, speaking of fun and exciting technology and where the construction industry goes, about a month ago, Trimble announced that you all are developing a HoloLens integration with your FieldLink software. So the idea there is that this will allow users to pair the XR10, which for our listeners is Trimble's hard hat mounted Microsoft HoloLens 2 mixed reality headset with robotic total stations for a more immersive layout experience. We're big fans of the HoloLens and we're big fans of, of you know, the XR10. So Rob, can you tell us a little bit more about this integration and where you see the future of mixed reality on the job site? Yeah, so we've had a, a long partnership with Microsoft and then we actually just even made a bigger relationship with them a few months ago and we can come back to that. We can come back to that one later. We started working with HoloLens actually a good number of years ago. We were, I think we were their first really industrial technology partner, right? Because a lot of it's been aimed towards the gaming um, industry, yeah. but actually using it in a, in a more industrial context. And we started an early partnership with them. But actually going back even to the history of Trimble, you know, the first Trimble patent in mixed reality 
Tahira, 25 years ago. It's a long game. Okay, so we've been playing this for a long time. A, a long, a long time. We're believers in 3D. We we're talking about connecting the physical and the digital worlds. That's exactly what we're doing with mixed reality. And you know, clearly, before we say dive into Microsoft or the, the the hard hat specifically, think about the value of that to understand design in its context, design intent to be able to bring that digital out to the real world. Think about it from a quality control, a QA, QC a perspective to bring that model out to the field. You know, in your podcast last uh, week, I heard your guest talking about the power of robotic layout. Well, guess who invented that? You're talking to Trimble. Uh, <laughs> guess who brought that to the building construction trades? That's Trimble. Yeah. Now think about what's the next step in the evolution um, of that, right? It's a yeah. tablet-based workflow today. Well, what would what could be, what is better than a tablet-based workflow? That would be doing that in 3D, a visual-based layout. Uh, so that's the value proposition is to even further accelerate the productivity that you get from the use of, of the technology. So it's like just, I'll even say another thing that you can do with the technology. We also have a, I think a really compelling partnership with Boston Dynamics who makes spot, you know, the robotic dog. Uh, so this whole, whole area of robotics and data collection intersecting with mixed reality and cloud-based technologies is, is really fundamental to our present and, uh, and to our future in that context of connecting office field, physical, digital, hardware, software. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for just a second. How's your relationship with Hyundai and yeah, you know, obviously they're they're the majority owner now of Boston Dynamics and Boston Dynamics founded not too far from where you did B school. I mean, like, there's a lot of intersections there, and I'm sure you know the guys at Hyundai. So, what what what's the relationship like there? You guys are bolting your hardware onto their hardware, and these are these are these are two you know y'all are two multi billion dollar titans here. How's it looking with Hyundai? It's a, a fantastic. Actually, I had an opportunity to visit. So Rob Plater, like very close to Rob Painter, Rob Plater is the CEO <laughs> of Boston Dynamics. Mm -hmm. And I had an opportunity to visit Rob and his team out in Boston uh, less than two weeks ago when we were uh, talking through the relationship status and update and you know, got to get on the floor and work through some demos and, and talk about where we're heading with the roadmap. And I is, a, is an excellent owner and steward of Boston Dynamics. I think uh, from my perspective, it gives them access to capital to continue to invest in the business. Um, there's still a lot you know, that they want to, to go after and do. Well, for me, it was manufacturing prowess too, Bingo. right? I mean, it's, it's not just the money, it's the ability to scale, to scale a hardware, a piece of hardware that is very, very sophisticated and more expensive <laughs> right. than most of Hyundai's cars, right? I mean, so you... I mean, there, there, there also appeared to be a good bit of opportunity to, to cross-pollinate the intellectual property of Boston Dynamics into Hyundai's vehicles because of the, you know, the mapping and autonomous nature of what, of what Boston Dynamics has built. Pretty impressive. Also, you know, fodder for a lot of us sci-fi nerds to say, this is the videos they're going to show us when we're in robot jail one day. <laughs> when them, you know, but that's beside, beside the point. Also, another key partner of yours, Microsoft. They have cast doubt on a HoloLens 3 coming out, reiterating the value of HoloLens 2. You have built a platform on top of HoloLens 2, both in, in applications, you know, software, and your you know, basically your rebalancing, that's what I'll call it, right. because you, you physically rebalance the product, the weight and balance of the product, and, the, and then, and then you know, mounted it on a hard hat. You didn't actually make any 
hardware configuration changes, you rebalanced where the battery was, and uh, then you made it fit on a hard hat, and then you put a lot of software on top of it. So you, you've invested a good bit of money on this platform. What are your thoughts on the future of HoloLens? Where, where, do, do you think that is this a is this a fad? Is it a blip, or is this a, a legitimate new paradigm for user experience? Yeah. Well, spoiler alert to you. I think it's uh, I think it's a compelling technology that has a lot of legs and has a lot of legs to it. The HoloLens works and optimizes best today in an indoor environment. We have um, a technology we call Sight Vision that we actually use in the outdoor environment. Um, and so there's the hardware platform and there's a software um, aspect of it. Okay. And so James is a as a fellow technology geek, you'll appreciate the value of abstracting an SDK with a set of capabilities to uh, to bring in a, in, a, in a whether you want to call it augmented reality um, or mixed reality context that can apply to multiple or I'll say hardware configurations. So you nailed it. Like our value add in Hololens isn't to make the Hololens. That's Microsoft. That's their that's their hardware. What we can bring is the special sauce and that embedded software marries up with the application software. So we can work on multiple platforms. And I think that's uh, multiple hardware platforms. And I think that's uh, very important because some will optimize to a different context. And uh, again, that simple example of indoor uh, and outdoor where lighting's uh, a pretty big, uh, pretty big deal. I think, you know, with, like to your point about Hyundai coming in with Boston Dynamics or or anybody else's, the lower these price points come down, I think the more adoption we'll see um, in the market. And so there are barriers to adoption based on cost that you'll that you'll see because and when you think about mapping to the personas and who might use it, you know, someone's someone's problem they're trying to solve is to help a client uh, understand the design intent. That's very different than if you're doing a QC and, and you're a, a general contractor doing QC on a job site, which is different if you're doing, you're an MEP contractor doing layout on the, on the job site. So I think in all of those contexts, this things just, these technologies will get easier and easier to use. And let's not forget a generational topic. Who are the next generation generations of users uh, of the technology. What about this generation that's yeah. growing up with gaming yeah. coming into the industry? I think it's a way to, by the way, help attract people yeah. um, into the industry is, is an industry that is has technology prowess and is, is technology forward. And those who know how to use this technology, I think will be able to do really exciting and great things for, for companies they work for. Yeah. I mean, the pr price point, you, you said it just a minute ago, uh, price, unit, unit price is going to play a big role in adoption, you know, as the Oculus quest has come down in price point adoption has skyrocketed um, in particular among younger age brackets. I have one and I, I don't use it as much as I thought I would, but you know, my kids do and my kids' friends do. And, you know, so it's, it's interesting, you know, it, as it got into that two, three, $400 price point bracket, you know, and I think, you know, HoloLens being at the, the multi-thousand dollar price that it's at, if they can, if they can get their component costs down and their manufacturing costs down, and you know, get their unit costs down, then then we'll see a, a much bigger uptick in adoption on that. I know it's just one 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 of those tiny slivers of the big pie of Trimble, but I I it's one that I've been uh, pretty curious about for some time. It's a uh, an exciting uh, thing. When I first used Hololens the very first time, the very first one, I cried because I was like, this is one of the most amazing pieces of hardware I've ever touched in my life. And then I used HoloLens too, and I was like, "It's this is even better." And we've built applications for HoloLens. Right. Uh, we built an augmented reality app for HoloLens One. We built a, a, a VR app for the Trimble, not for Trimble, for the um, Oculus DK One, the original development kit one, when 
when it when Palmer Lucky was running the company back in the day. And it, you know, it was just so so exciting to see the potential there. And I still feel like we're at the beginning of the actual real adoption curve on virtual and mixed reality. So it's got an exciting future to it. Well, and I think too, we'll see some of the things we'll see evolve. Let's say the quality of the avatars, the quality of the uh, interactions that we can have in this yeah. in this context. I mean, take a context like we're um, on in this podcast where we're on, on video is how am I looking? I'm trying to look you in the eye, but if I'm looking you in the eye, am I looking at, I'm looking at the screen, but by <laughs> looking at you, you at your eye in the screen, I'm not actually looking at you in the And So this is, these are the kind of things that are where this technology is going, where you can have a deeper connection. And I, I these are the kind of things that I think will help adoption as, as well as, you know, you write, you know, people who get motion sick from using the things. And by the way, that can be me at times. And, and so so as we we get that sense sensory right that sense of uh, a touch a feel uh, I think they call it the haptic um, emotions that come from this I, I, these are the kind of things that I think will also make it more readily adopted eventually someone's going to put a webcam behind your screen so that when you're looking at the picture of the person you're looking at them that's uh, that's gonna that's gonna be the next step it would make sense wouldn't it Tahira I totally agree there's definitely you know we're on the precipice of really where mixed reality virtual reality can go. And I want to go back back to something that you had mentioned previously, Rob. So this idea of connected construction, right? It's a term that's been gaining usage and momentum over the past, like, say, five to 10 years. But you had mentioned that even, you know, upwards of 20 years, it's been a part of Trimble's vision. So what is what does connected construction mean to Trimble? How has that definition or that vision changed as the industry has in many ways caught up or in many ways is still kind of on the verge? And how does it kind of, how does it affect our actual contractors today, this idea of connected construction? So when we think about connected construction, I give you two axes to consider. One is the, it's called the value chain or the workflow in construction. And simply put, what's called a DBO, design, build, operate. And we all know that you can break that down into you know, many further aspects. So you've got design, build, operate on, on one side. On the other side, let's consider the stakeholders, and we call that the AEC, you know, AECO, architects, engineers, contractors, uh, and owners. When we think about connecting construction, we think about connecting those stakeholders across the industry lifecycle. Mm -hmm. We think about connecting the data. We think about cloud enabling the data. We think about redefining workflow. We think about being able to offer not only that point solution, let's say for that MEP contractor, to be able to drive task productivity, but moving to system productivity. Because an MEP contractor is one, as we know, of many, many people who come together to make construction happen. And when we think about the problems that were that exist in construction, and I, by the way, when I grew up through Trimble, I grew up mostly through our construction business. We know the data. You know, 80% of projects are late, 40% of a river budget. Contractors run thin margins and have high level of risk in the work um, that they do to deliver those projects. We believe that technology is an enabler to change how work is done, to transform how work is done. And we believe in this connected construction as really the ultimate end game. Like that is our big idea, the big vision um, in construction is we think that we can make that contractor more productive if they're better connected with the GC. We think we can make that GC better at what they do if they're better connected with the owner. We think we can help that architect with their conceptual modeling to connect that into the actual engineering workflows. 
you know, remember the old McClamey curve, Patrick McClamey, like how much does construction start and then drop it, start again through the modeling exercises? How do we propagate a model-based workflow? So really what's at the bit of the center for us of connected construction is that model. And, you know, yeah, like I've, I've, you know, people will ask me sometimes about the digital twin. I usually start by saying, well, what does it mean to you? Because it means something different to everybody. Oh, yeah. To me, a little bit more plainly spoken is we think about model-based workflows. So the model, think about the geometry in that model. And how often do models have no geometry in them? We think about the geometry that's in the model. Not surprising given the history, the 43-year history of the company. And we think about that model adding attributes throughout the life cycle um, of it, from that conceptual design, through the documentation, through an, uh, imagine an estimate based off of a model, an accurate model, not a pretty picture, but an accurate model. Think about fabrication off of a constructible model. This is very central um, to why we think connected construction is important. And we say, we think, and we believe in openness when we talk about connected construction as well. It's a very fragmented industry, as we know, and it's a very fragmented technology landscape, as we also know. We believe if you're going to connect construction, you've got to have strong interoperability to be able to move the data throughout the life cycle. That makes a ton of sense. And what I love about that, too, is, Rob, you know, you, you talk about how Trimble's cornerstone is the data accuracy, right, and that, that precision, but yet... In the way that you describe the vision of connected construction, you bring it back to the stakeholders and bringing them in earlier, often, and creating that that stronger ecosystem. Which again, it's 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 a people business. It's very fragmented, but there's some great opportunities. So that's that's really huge. Indeed. So let's geek out a little bit more for just a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you. We we got we got to dive into, into into tech a little bit more. Lasers. All I asked for were freaking sharks with freaking lasers on their forehead. You know, it's a famous line from Austin Powers, and he ended up with mutant sea bass instead of sharks with lasers. Lasers are very accurate. Lasers are very expensive. Lasers deliver a lot of value for a lot of different use cases in the construction business. But it looks like photogrammetry. 360 cameras and ultra high resolution imagery has a chance to unseat lasers on many use cases. And we're seeing that with a, a whole bunch of startups that I'm sure one or two will eventually wind up in your company. You know, that, that really deep dive on 360 imaging, photogrammetry, conversion to models, conversion of 360 videos, they're getting accuracy rates that are crazy high. They're producing as-built models in, in minutes instead of hours with a $300 camera instead of a $50,000 laser. Talk to me about the disruption of lasers by photogrammetry and cameras and what this means for Trimble. Yeah, when you talk lasers, are you talking 3D laser scanners or do you mean more like layout lasers? Uh, let's, let's not talk about layout. I'm talking about laser scanners. Uh, in, in this case, I'm talking about reality capture, not layout robotic tool stations. Yeah, I go back to you got to go to the customers, you got to go to the use case that the customers have. No secret, we invest um, a lot of Trimble revenue back into R&D. I actually, one of my jobs along the way at Trimble, I, I ran a joint venture that we have with uh, Hilti. We call it Intelligent Construction Tools. We invest a lot in photogrammetry. We've been in photogrammetry software and investing and in researching metric cameras for many years. And you're right, what cameras increasingly can do is is quite impressive. And we see some of them, by the way, in autonomy as another area, right? So there's a convergence 
I think of this world. There's a bit of a topic around ease of use. There's a topic around the level of detail that's needed in it. And I've certainly um, seen the use cases where people could, you know, with a, the LIDAR that's on your, that can be on a phone today, a smartphone today, we can take that as a, as a data capture and bring that into our SketchUp product uh, where we do the constructible, or excuse me, we do the conceptual modeling with that data. And with that conceptual modeling, then we can take that into a more engineering level uh, of detail. There's a certain aspect where we're open to being agnostic to the data collection. I'm, I'm at Trimble. Our institutional view wouldn't be to say that uh, laser scanning is the only way to do it. I think, you know, hey, take drone data that's captured. We think really the magic is in the, it's in the data processing. It's not hard these days, James, to get data. You know, what's really easy these days to get is too much data and, and, and to not know what to do with the data. It's the post-processing and that workflow around it is where I, I think in these years to come, yep. that's what's going to matter. And that's, what's going to differentiate the more differentiate, the more we can automate that data collection and bring it into the workflow, the better value we provide to customer. Not hard to get data today, hard to get data, you know, to do with. Yeah, and and that you can make decisions from, right? Bingo. It's the actionable. Yeah, the actionable right? data. It's the actionable intelligence. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I think to hear you've got a bit of an AI background. Think about AI and ML as that intersects this world and the importance and the value that will come along with that. And guess what? That's one of the reasons we made our partnership, extended our partnership with Microsoft um, is to have more and more access to the resources they can bring, you know, they can bring a lot of that I'll call it functional horizontal skills and capabilities to map to what we have as a vertical competency, the vertical market competency. Yep. Definitely one of the, one of the reasons we built our, all our platforms on Azure and we use cognitive services because it's as, as they roll out more cognitive services, it helps us to hear your comments on that. I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, to your point, Rob, there's this, this level of data that's useful. And there's this level of the the garbage data too. And I think that's really, really where a lot of the power comes in. And, you know, it's even back in the days when, when AI and machine learning was much less sexually named when it was neural networks and we were working in assembly code to figure it out. It's just, it's crazy to see how far it can come. And it kind of goes back to almost to that point that you made of, you know, the, the precision accuracy and how it, it can be something that you apply across so many industries. It's the same thing with the data and the machine learning, the AI, the, the processing, right? Like we've seen great examples of companies using not only a machine learning in vision recognition, but also in natural language processing. And to your point, it's, it's how can we kind of streamline not just the collection, but also the interpretation of that information to help drive those decisions. And then again, to your point of getting to that job site to know even what decisions make sense. And I can definitely speak to, you know, my days in the, in the tool design world, I could tell you how many times a trigger was pulled, but is that even valuable? Right. Or do you just need to know that the tool was working? So there's a lot there for sure. Rob, we're going to wrap talking about corporate stuff and I hope that's okay. And of course, if, you know, we, can't talk to the former CFO, current CEO without talking talking business. Right, because that's what got you into business was the love of business, not the not not the uh, the love of engineering. You you became CEO of a public company three months before the world locked down. 
Wasn't in the job description. And <laughs> wasn't in the job description was navigating a public company through a pandemic. Let's talk about the financials. You saw a slight revenue decline through that because you, you ended uh, 2018, 3.1 uh, billion in revenue, then 3.264 in 2019, then a slight decline to 3.147. No surprise that there was a slight decline during COVID. And then absolutely exploded out of the blocks to just under 3.7 billion with year end of 1231. And your your EBITDA has continued to to perform. Your EBIT went from 351 million to 640 million over the same period. So your your EBIT has done very well. So what very dynamic time when the company is growing, exploding out of COVID. Talk to me about taking over at the beginning of COVID and talk to me about the the financials of a public company and what what it's really been like for the last couple of years. Yeah, sure. So one of the benefits I had is being CEO, coming in as CEO is having been here for the last 16 years. I'm really the ultimate insider in terms of an evolution through the the company. You know, we're like we were talking about earlier, this is technology. This is people. This is leadership. And I work with really what I think are the best in the business across all of Trimble. You know, one of the things about being around for a long time, James, is we went through 9-11 together as a company. We've gone through the financial crisis in 2008 as a, a company. We went through a commodity crash price together in the 13-14 timeframe together. We came into COVID having been a bit battle tested as it, as it were. Now, who saw this one coming? <laughs> Not this guy in terms of what was to come over that timeframe. But here's my, my sense of how to lead through that. And it is very much about leader about principles-based leadership. And we said early on in the pandemic that we were going to first take care of our people. We would take care of our, our, our customers. And it worked. I mean, the team really came together over that time frame. Now, we've also seen even more things happen over these last couple of years, right? Social awakening, uh, supply chain crisis, yeah. inflation, now Ukraine, Russia. We have many colleagues in 2% of Trimble's revenue are from that region of the world. It's been really one thing, a little bit of one thing after the other. And I've been really reflecting over these last few yeah. weeks on the importance of resilience and the importance of mindset as as leaders. And we have a leadership model at Trimble. We say inspire, engage, achieve. Inspire with purpose, engage to get the best out of one another and achieve to our full potential. That's what leaders do. And, you know, we're surrounded by a lot of people who have helped us lead yeah. this organization throughout the crisis. Now, let's look at the end markets that we're serving. As we know, construction has been an essential industry throughout this. What we also know is that if you let's take our construction business okay so that you know the 3.7 billion of revenue that we have at trimble today over 2 billion of that is in construction engineering and construction more than 70 percent of that is software yep. today of the of the business that we have in construction we're a majority software um, business now what has happened over these last couple of years there has been an increased move to digitize so think about that customer Maybe they're using our ERP system who had an on-prem um, installation and suddenly it didn't have anybody to go to the office. That's accelerated the move to cloud for our customers with the technology we have. And we've seen that need to better remotely collaborate, right? We all know these trends. That's 
we actually see more IT spend going into digitization and into technology that is relevant. And we've been there. And one of the things we also said at the beginning of the crisis was that we would do the things that positioned us to exit the crisis on a stronger competitive footing than when we entered it. It was a made, really a top principle that we had. And we said we wouldn't continue to invest in this business and we would continue to invest in our people. James, we put $535 million into research and development last year. Nice. 535 million. Nice. We're not just talking about innovation. No, it's real. It's real investment. It's real investment um, yeah. in this business. And it's for the benefit of the market, for the benefit of the customers. So we're not just talking, happy talk <laughs> about <Yeah>. connected construction. <laughs> we're spending the time yeah. and the money and the effort um, to do it. And I think when you lead in that manner, and you know, if you've probably heard about the Stockdale paradox, yes, you know, that's something else <laughs> that to me was quite instructive. And it's that ability to accept the brutal facts of, of a situation confront, while being yeah, able to confront hold. the brutal realities of your current situation. I think that's why Jim Stockdale said it. Exactly. And hold optimism. Yes. Right. So it's not a blind optimism. It's an optimism that you will survive, that you will survive. And you know, we will get through this. Yeah. We have seen this happen. We've seen bad things happen before. Awesome. Awesome. Rob, it's been a great conversation. We we try to be judicious with our use of public company CEO's time. <laughs> and so while I would love to keep peppering you through with questions about your company and its direction and what's going on, you've been more than gracious and generous with us in, in talking about uh, a wide range of topics. I'm excited about the future of what Trimble has to offer. I, I really appreciate your time coming here today to talk with us. And thank you so much for, for, for y'all's leadership, the investment in R&D, of course, a lot of folks build a lot of applications on top of Trimble too. And I think that's, that's worth noting that there's a, there's a lot of software companies that depend on Trimble hardware to get their job done. And so we appreciate the investment in technology and in, in moving the industry forward. Absolutely. Hey, we're true believers. I appreciate you both having me on. We will continue to invest back into the business. Um, we're investing uh, as well into Trimble Technology Labs with universities around the world to help that next generation as well yeah. along their own paths. Hey, James, come see us. I'm at our user conference in November, our big user conference dimensions. We'd love to have you yeah. um, out there. Let's get you back on the road doing your thing live yeah. um, with a lot of customers. Yeah, I've been been uh, been back on and you know it's been great. It's been it's been great to have a good excuse to fly as a pilot and it's been it's been great speaking at conferences and podcasting and having a lot of fun. I would I would absolutely love to go over there. I'll I'll put a plug in. I, I am a regent at a public university. Governor Abbott appointed me to the Texas Southern University Board of Regents a year and a half ago. We're a historically black college in Houston, Texas. And we have a construction technology program and we would love Trimble's involvement. Yeah. And so if, if you ever have interest in, in investing in a historically black college and, and just south of downtown Houston, Texas Southern has 8,000 students that would love to meet you and have you all involved in our campus. Hey, let's do it. Follow up with me. We have actually invested in some HBCUs. Your Aggies um, have a Trimble Technology Lab, by the way. Yeah. So let's get another one. Yeah. This is important work um, to be done. Yeah. And we're all behind it. It is. It is. And, and we, we appreciate you and thanks for your time. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully I'll see you at your conference in November. Thank you, James. Before we get into our news, what a great interview that was with Rob. Let's listen in on the second half of the conversation I had with Anka Stefanescu, head of growth at Spectar. I am back with Anka Stefanescu, head of growth and sales manager over at Spectar. What are some of the concerns of your users when engaging with Spectar? We know our customer's goal is really to immerse their field crews into a fully coordinated BIM model to understand design intent, 
make better decisions on the job site. And so we look at these as their top needs, essentially. Accessibility is a concern. So they want to be able to access the support team quickly. Reliability, the result is the same every time. Design, it's intuitive. Get me to where I need to be in as few clicks as possible and don't make me learn a really complicated menu. Compatibility is also a concern, so it has to work with an existing BIM technology stack. And then finally, they need to feel they are in control. They want to be able to start, stop services as their job site schedule requires. Talk to me about any features that users like the most. Like they say, like, this is the killer feature in this application. One is the ability to process very large, complex files without having to cut them into smaller pieces. Remote collaboration, the ability to do a remote Microsoft Teams call straight from the field through the HoloLens. Another one would be issue resolution. Uh, we have our BIM track integration. Now we give the field crews the ability to create BIM track issues in the field. Offline mode, Wi-Fi is still premium on a lot of job sites. Simplicity of the menu, anywhere you need to go, you can get to in three clicks. Ease of model placement with no QR codes. All of these uh, we complement with our service offering that allows our customers' project teams to focus on the project completion and not on technology implementation. Awesome. So where can all of our listeners learn more about Spectar? They can go to spectar.io slash contact crew. They can reach out to me directly and uh, I'll be very happy to show them a demo as well as the software. Awesome. And now for our weekly top news stories to hear, what do you have this week? Oh my gosh. Like you said, it's been such a week. And in honor of this week being Women in Construction Week and also Tuesday being International Women's Day, we're seeing all these great features highlighting successful women in construction. And I really wanted to start with an article from our friends at Construction Dive that's a tactical approach on how to bring women into the construction industry today. So this article first references all of those sad statistics that we know. Um, so they reference uh, a fixer study that talks about how women in construction has increased over 50% in the last decade. That's huge. But we're still looking at women being 17% of workers in management um, and professional roles, 24% of workers in service roles, and 3% of workers who are actually in the field. So in this article, they reference a Building Talent Foundation report on how to recruit, train, and retain women in construction. And they talk about these four steps. So the first step is targeted sectoral development programs. So really going after certain segments of society. So employer-led curriculums focusing on addressing the skills gaps that traditionally keep women out of construction when really keep you know, any disenfranchised group out of construction, especially when you pair them with our favorite thing, technology, and going into non-traditional methods of delivery. So social media, online training. And the second tactic they talk about is developing partnerships with nonprofits and communities that target disconnected areas to the building workforce. So veterans, so women's shelters, correctional facilities, schools that aren't typically targeted. And then that third uh, tactic is focus on inclusion and safety through inclusive language, imagery on recruitment materials, and, and this idea of total safety, which isn't just about physical safety, but is also about mental and behavioral health. And finally, the fourth tactic that they give is to recruit from new and diverse talent sources. So much like when we are implementing new processes or technologies, measuring that progress and looking for 
outcome-driven measures of success. So a lot of these tactics are, they're powerful, not just for recruiting women, but really diversifying and preparing for the next generation of the workers to enter the workforce, which was something, uh, you know, that we talked about in our interview. So from a NECA perspective, over the past couple of years, we've really dug into this. We've seen a real revitalization in our engagement and commitment to DEI, especially between NECA and the IBW. I know, uh, James, you've met Lieutenant General Ron Bailey, who's NECA's VP of Industry Development, and David Long, our CEO, is very committed to this. So, in fact, for, for our listeners who are you know, in the Florida region or want to be, next week at NECA's Women in NECA and Future Leaders Conference is actually going to be held in Tampa. So, James, what are your best tips to increase recruitment in the construction industry just overall? And, and just as pressingly, I think it's it would be remiss to, to talk about recruitment without retention yeah. of that workforce. Well, I can tell you as someone who employs, you know, just under 300 people that we focus just as much on retention as recruitment. Yeah. It, it is it is way harder to get someone new in your organization than keep the ones you have. And so you, you, you've got to always focus on Really having a path and having a plan, I think, and that that's really what what recruits look for, and what your existing team looks for is what's what's the path for me, what's the plan for this business, and so any we can recruit them to an industry, but at the end of the day, they work for people and companies, right? They don't work for an industry. Mm-hmm. You work in an industry, you don't work for the industry, and so uh, we've got to have healthy companies. That's one of the things I love that Nika. MCAA, SMACNA, they all focus so heavily on is, is building healthy companies. That's why I'm a huge advocate of, of EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, because it's about building healthy environments to work in where you can you know, say what needs to be said without fear of retribution or reprisal, where you can actually have open, honest, and vulnerable con- conversations. I mean, the, these, these are really, really important things to, to recruiting more people into our industry and then keeping them because really people run people off of our industry. And that, that, I think that's an important thing to to remember is that there there's there's cultural issues that run people off just as much as there are financial or safety or health issues, and so it's uh, we we've got to focus continually on building healthy companies and having a plan for those businesses and a path for those people to to advance and progress. Certain certainly adoption of technology allows them to work with the tools, and that we're seeing that a lot across our clients and in our own company. They use a lot of technology tools in their personal life, and they want to use a lot of technology tools in their professional lives. And so the, you got to, you have to certainly fulfill you know, their needs and desires as workers to, to work with the things they want to work with, to, you know, to work with modern tooling. That's, that's important, whether it's an app or whether it's a piece of hardware or whether it's, an, for us, a new programming language. You've got to challenge people, and we, you know, we've, we've you know, made, made a lot of headway through training programs. And I know that's something that MCAA and NECA and SMACNA are working really, really hard on is really, really great educational programs to keep people who are already in the industry to allow them to to maybe change jobs without leaving the business. That's something that's really important too. Yeah, I think just being able to accelerate your your own experience is huge. Yeah. So my next article was published on Tuesday by ConExpo ConAg, and it talks about an autonomous excavator system. And so they're always good at ConExpo to, yeah. to give us some, some juicy bits about machinery. So this was actually introduced by researchers from the University of Maryland, and it's one of the first uncrewed projects to be deployed in real-world scenarios and continuously operate for more than 24 hours, which is a really powerful thing, not just the, the real-world application, but the long duration. So this autonomous excavator, it can execute 
long durations of material loading and unloading without any human intervention, and the performance levels are measured to be closely equivalent, whatever that means, to that of a human operator. So I definitely want to learn a little bit more about their metrics, but what's cool is even as they grow this, the University of Maryland researchers, they're continuing to test this autonomous excavator with extended durations, extreme weather, environmental conditions. And I know last time I was on the show, James, we talked about the realistic timeline of construction robots in general, and when we were actually going to see these robots widespread on the job site. But now let's take this to the next level with adding, you know, this autonomous engine. So, you're a veteran of the construction world, James. You and I, we love a good robot. So what do you think it's truly going to take to get these autonomous robotic systems integrated successfully, realistically, onto our traditional job sites? Trust. I mean, like everything else, I think it's about trust that they're going to not hurt somebody first, mm-hmm. generate a lawsuit second, actually accurately perform the work. You know, I've seen salty, I call them salty dog superintendents. <laughs> <laughs> who, who are the? They're the backbone of this business. You know, they're the backbone of this whole industry. And if the, if it, you know, the, the 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 default answer almost has to be no because their their job is to manage risk, right? Risk of schedule slippage and yeah. risk of project profitability slippage. And I've seen them oppose a lot of technology, but once they get their hands on it and try it, so I think really it's just hands on trials. They're going to have to do it and try it and see the benefit. They're not going to believe a white paper or a video. They're going to have to see a live demonstration. That's why it's like Con Expo, Con Expo, great because mm-hmm. you can get your hands on with things. They're going to have to watch it, do it, and go, oh my gosh, that's a total game changer. We have a shortage of operators and heavy equipment operators and skilled laborers. And so there's no way around this. We're not trying to replace people. We're trying to make up for the fact that two or three are retiring for every one that's coming in. And so we've, we've, we're going to have to bring uh, more equipment to uh, autonomous operation. It's just plain and simple. Absolutely. Yeah, but, but you know, hands-on trials, I think, are the only way to win them over. Yeah. And I think even, you know, distributing the work, yeah. what can be done in terms of using autonomous equipment for mapping a job site when people aren't on it. Yep. You know, there's there's a lot of opportunities there. And so finally, the last piece of news that I wanted to share is from Popular Mechanics, and it's from this Wednesday. So Fortescue Metals Group, which is an Australian mining company, they've actually built a huge infinity train, or they're working on one that will charge itself by moving downhill. So the name's very lofty. I'm I'm not mad at that. But so the idea here is that this train can actually carry heavy iron ore in one direction and use that weight and movement to charge the train for its return trip back home. So it has the capacity to be the world's most efficient battery electric locomotive because it charges itself with kinetic energy. It won't need renewable energy generation or recharging infrastructure, which we know is a huge thing right now. But what's really kind of interesting in this specific use case is that mine trains, they really only have to go back and forth. It's a short distance. You know exactly what the trip is going to be. It's well controlled. And you know the specific amount of power that you're going to be using every single time, as long as the weight's the same. So this differs wildly from all the variables that we see in passenger freight trains, not to mention electric vehicles, which travel all around the world with variable payloads. So what's your take on this infinity train concept? And how do you think we can apply this on a larger scale to EV 
the EV revolution or, you know, everything that's that's happening now with electric charging. There's a lot of energy wasted in general. Now, first off, I want to point out as a Marvel fan, I immediately thought of the Infinity Stones and a giant gold glove with Infinity <laughs> you Stones. You were ready. I was like, Infinity Stones, <laughs> Infinity Train. There's a lot of energy wasted all the time, Tira. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, yeah, when you, whenever you have a, a mass of weight moving down a hill, you, you, you can use gravity to generate electricity, right? So, uh, whenever you're braking a system, you can do regenerative braking. So we're seeing a lot of concepts of like hybrid electric vehicles being imported to industrial applications. So anytime that's there, I'm excited. I'm excited because it's just cross-pollination of ideas from the consumer business being pollinated over to industrial, from braking systems to generation, whatever it is, it's going to it's going to help us capture a lot of energy that's wasted. Just like there's wasted profit every day on construction job sites, there's wasted energy every day all around us. There's wasted opportunities to generate electricity. So I'm excited. I think it's cool. And I love the name. <laughs> a big fan of closed loop systems, right? If we can harness the energy of movement, yes. we're in. Yes. Yeah. And we're just not wasting. We're just not wasting energy. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about three quick news stories here. The feds give University of Kansas half a million bucks, 500K towards tech powered bridge research. I always like following university research grants because sometimes that actually comes out of the university and turns into real life stuff. They're going to use computational simulations in in Kentucky's West Campus Structural Testing Lab to examine the causes of of constraint-induced fracture, which can lead to span failure. Uh, This is from Construction Dive, by the way. This is a a really big deal. Uh, There was a recent collapse of the Fern Hollow Bridge in Pittsburgh that we covered here on the the, uh, show. Yeah. And so there, this is a, a fresh research award of half a million dollars to help them research really what causes these type of structural failures. Bridges are absolutely critical. I've been watching the the TV series 1883, and it reminded me of how incredibly critical bridges are. Uh, to people not dying crossing rivers. I mean, it's it's a, it's amazing to hear at Yellowstone or eighteen eighty three. You watched either of them yet? I haven't, but you know, oh. I am. I know, I know. I am a big fan, though. I gotta say, of when these university grants can be tactically applied. Yep. I'm with you on you know yep. turning that into real life application. Yeah, yeah. It's there. Most university research never sees the light of day. The vast majority. And uh, something I'm working on at, at, at my university, something I worked on at Texas A&M is how do we get it out in the real world? And so hopefully this will help solve a huge problem with bridges. We need bridges. They're critical infrastructure. Absolutely critical. Next story, Orlando emphasizes wow factor in digital twin project. I just want to mention this. This is the Orlando Economic Partnership. They're investing in a digital twin of the city's metro region. Again, this is from Construction Dive. They're they're capturing their downtown areas. It's going to map the entire 40-square-mile metro region, including the Space Coast, amusement parks, Orlando International Airport. They're going to use that as a model to show off the region. And uh, the model is slated to be unveiled in October as part of the, the city's digital transformation. I can't wait to see it. I haven't heard to hear of a digital twin project this big. So I'm eager to see how how good it actually is. Well, and you know what? I was just thinking the opposite of that, because what's cool about this project is it's really about how can you use it to give people the experience? Yeah. It's not necessarily going to be, you know, this is what we're using for precision building. So it's the perfect platform to hone some of these these nuances in a way that an audience will really appreciate. Who doesn't love the magic of Orlando anyways? Right. I mean... Have a magical day. Why go to Disney if you can just virtually walk? In, right? uh, no. <laughs> By the way, I'm more of a universal. Me and my, my two daughters are like theme park nuts, and we're more universal people now than Disney people. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the that zero percent so, pr- surprises me. 
I'm, I'm just saying because Harry Potter World, like we dress up and go to Harry Potter World and it's amazing. Like <laughs> well, we have robes and wands. That virtual walkthrough. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And and I know it's kind of uh, – it's, it's tough to talk about this, but I have to mention that Ukraine invasion has heightened contractors' risk of cyber attacks. We, we got to mention this again from Construction Dive. Again, we are in, a, what, the third week of Russia's invasion of the country of Ukraine. This is having devastating and wide-reaching impacts on the people of Ukraine. Over 2 million have fled the country. Obviously, construction has ground to a halt there. The, uh, the industry has, has been devastated by this war, inappropriate and wildly unacceptable war that Putin has decided to wage on the Ukraine. And I have, I have some friends that are, that are over there, and I've been uh, thinking a lot about them because they have not been able to leave. And so it, it, is a, it, is, it is tough, but what's also going on is there is a parallel cyber war that's being conducted that is putting USA contractors at risk. And so it's just important to know this, that small to medium enterprises – including construction firms, are very, very vulnerable because they don't have great security measures. There is a Russia-led cyber attack series being conducted on any country that is embargoing Ukraine, uh, Russia. And, and I tell you what, the whole world has turned on Russia. I mean, it is I, – I didn't know how this would play out. I didn't know if everybody would toe the line, but even China has been refusing to – to assist Russia in certain measures. They agreed to buy some of their wheat, but Russia's not getting nearly as much international support as they thought they would. Uh, and they are retaliating through cyber attacks on both public infrastructure and private companies. So if you are in a small to medium enterprise in construction, just know there is a legitimate risk that you could be subject to uh, a cyber attack. And so you can go read this article on Construction Dive, or you can, you know, just the, the, the list of, of suggestions they made in the article at the very end. Train your employees, keep your software up to date, just carefully dispose of technology assets, do an annual cybersecurity checkup, buy a cyber insurance policy, please, and, and, and get your checkup from the neck up because the, the, the threat is real. It is legitimate and it is real. So you need to be careful and protect your company. Absolutely. And you're only as strong as your team. So, you know, yep. again, underscoring that awareness, making people more vigilant than ever is huge. Yeah, it really is. So to hear uh, you're the best, thank you so much for co-hosting today. I really appreciate it. Of course, always a joy and such a great conversation. Awesome. And thank you out in listener land for listening in for another episode of the Content Crew Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to Geek Out to episode 302, our interview with the CEO of Trimble, Rob Painter. To read all of our news stories, learn about apps, workflow, and hardware, subscribe at thecontentcrew.com or text CONTACT to 66866. Big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Dalton, our creative producer, and Tish Delin, our ad coordinator. To listen to this show, go to thecontentcrew.com. This is The Content Crew signing out. Until next time, enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time. Thanks.